0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the No Priscinium Review Crew podcast. Uh, it's been a minute since we've been on, but we are back. Um, I'll be your host for today, Kevin Gossett, the LA Reviews Editor for No Priscinium. We also have Blake Weil. Hi there, everybody. We've got Leah Davis. Hello. We've got Patrick McLean.
1: Hey, everyone. I shoveled snow three times today. <laughs>
0: Show and off. We've got Leah Hess.
2: <laughs> Hi. <laughs>
0: I'm I'm glad we we had uh, uh, some problems with the first recording and Patrick's snow bit was very funny so I'm glad it made its way back in. Here.
1: I just want credit. That's all I'm asking <laughs> well,
0: for. You deserve credit. That's a, that's a lot of snow. I don't we don't even get snow out here, so I'm glad you will you'll still get credit on this podcast. So um, you might notice uh, things are a little different here. We are not recording live. We are trying out something new. We record in advance. Um, should let us open up the schedule and get some new people on the podcast on a more regular basis. We love to hear kind of new voices and the opinions of people who write for the site um, and hear what they're saying about different shows. So hopefully this lets us bring them on more frequently. We may still do the uh, live recordings periodically, but we will make it more of an event so people can stick around and chat in the discord afterwards. And as of now, we'll still publish on Thursdays, but we'll let you know if um, anything about that's going to change. Uh, just stay tuned to this podcast and uh, nopercentium.com, and we will let you know there. So we're going to kick off the first episode back in a while with something we've never talked about on this podcast before, which is baseball. Baseball is the game band's baseball simulator. Um, It's kind of an odd, strange one. I've written about it on the site a couple times. Patrick and I actually have a running diary going there right now that will cover the rest of Short Circuit 3, which is a kind of testing ground the game band is doing before they bring baseball back for um, kind of good at some point during the year. So Patrick, this has kind of been your introduction to it. So what do you think of, of baseball, kind of at a very high level, kind of low level, whatever, what are your feelings here?
1: Yeah, I think overall I'm generally enjoying myself as much as a preview, a technical preview experience can allow. I mean, we do talk about it in the article, and to keep it high level, they are playing around a, a lot with functionality here. Uh, there's a really great gag that they have going on that bugs are not bugs. They're actually features. Uh, so you shouldn't complain about them and you should be thrilled that they're happening. Uh, that's my take on it. And so it's it's made a few things that I think Kevin's talked about or explored a little more challenging But that said, like, I think the two things I have really gravitated towards enjoying the most that bring that are going to keep me around is that the interface for like placing bets to kind of earn votes to influence how successful your team is going, I think is really great. And as people can see in the article, Kevin points out that it's kind of the best it has been. But then also I've been really digging the community aspect of this. There's a very active discord for better or worse, but everyone who I've encountered has been super helpful. Uh, I feel like sometimes what happens with my experience of going to see uh, baseball or any sport in person is that sometimes you're really lucky with the fans that you're sitting with. And like, you can maybe have a conversation with a random person and it'd be enjoyable. And then sometimes you're like, Oh boy. Uh, I regret everything I wish I stayed at home and watched this game and everyone has just been super kind and considerate and really makes the most to make it in welcoming environment so I think in that sense I I because I, you've Kevin you've talked a lot about it very high level and a very high level its functionality and what's doing but like I did not know this was how big this fan base was.
0: Yeah. And I think that's probably it's one of the things that I'm kind of like, I kind of dip in and out of is, is the fan base part. But I think we kind of realized in the article too, is, is I'd forgotten how, how helpful the community is in actually getting started because the, the site is a lot. There's a lot going on. It's kind of hard to, hard to parse and figure out what to do, but you can ask people and they'll walk you through it. And sometimes they'll, they'll joke about things that you have absolutely no idea what they're talking about, but other people will. And it's just kind of like, the bits that are explored in, in kind of different um, channels on the on the Discord server, or even I, some teams have side Discords because they're like the bigger ones are pretty active and they need to kind of keep track of stuff in more than the four channels that the um, the baseball one has per team. So that's been a part of it. And I do realize it is it is a lot, and I think trying to to jump into any season is is hard. But I think the short circuit is is definitely a lot weirder right now. There, there are a lot of of features um, this time around that have been (laughs) ranging from from pretty funny to like whoa like something big broke there they had something kind of in the middle season they'd planned that it just it did not work and it kept getting it kept breaking in in new and uh various ways until they had to kind of pull it because it was going to like bring down the whole game for the, the rest of everything they had planned um and it hasn't really been this buggy in a while like people kind of will joke about joke about things that have happened in the past, but it's never been like this bad. And I think that's, that's to kind of what they're doing is, is making these changes to make it more accessible. And some of the things to talk about, like the betting interface and you can bet 12 hours in advance. Now you couldn't, you just have to bet in the gap between one game finished and the next game started, which was like 20 to 30 minutes. So you had to keep an eye on the sites. So They've definitely aimed to make it so you don't have to pay as much attention all the time. To it, which I think was probably one of the things where it was it was just kind of dominating in terms of like how much you had to pay attention to it.
1: Well, and that's I think that's a really great point, because I think there's this weird alchemy that needs to occur on the main website, like the one you like blazeball.com. And you log in, and you build a profile because n- I, at this point, we're a little over a week <sighs> and a half into this, and I feel like I'm only just beginning to get a good sense of it. And so I think the major critique that I would have of it is that to be blunt, I, I say a little kinder in the article, but like the onboarding experience sucks here. Um, and it's like, I, I, yeah, like I, 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 I understand partially with the way they, you know, the way this functions and it's a very kind of small crew and there's this dynamic between the audience and them. And it's a kind of very collaborative nature, but I, I feel like whether maybe there's like maybe there's a video, there is a video on YouTube. I haven't gone to look, but like on the main website, I feel like there could be some, there could be an out of context, like out of the lore, out of baseball, like cheat sheet or mm-hmm. high level thing to be like, this is what you, know, out of the world, you know, no, no gimmicks. You know, we're setting all the gimmicks aside. This is what you're getting, and this is a way to do it. You know, I feel like they could really. feel like that's just the only like really barrier that i keep coming back to and being like i really wish i didn't have to go to you for a clarifying question or i didn't have to drop a question in the discord to bother someone who's probably at this point while they're very kind and helpful has answered such a sim has answered a similar question for a newbie who's probably already come and gone or whatever maybe they're paying it forward but it just seems like a kind of just a burden on everyone's neck and i'm i'm i think the big tease here to wrap this movie up is that I I, I'm going to, I am going to keep with it. I'm going to check it out again when the, like the main season starts, because I think, you know, the bugs, the features good, bad, whatever, but there's, there is a lot to love here, but you just really have to go. You, you have to have some ownership and dive deep to find it. Sometimes I feel.
0: Yeah. And I think that's kind of for better or worse And we've seen it with like other ARG type things is the kind of unwillingness to break kind of the, the immersion or the kind of integration with the game in terms of like what story and what's not and what's part of it and what's not. And I think that probably is to the detriment of getting people involved. They've tried to keep it in world and it maybe hasn't been as successful um, in letting people onboard quickly and understand. Um, I'm glad to hear you're going to keep keep up with it because I think what what is kind of the most interesting is the the stories they tell kind of over these seasons. And that's something that hasn't really been present in the short circuits because of how they work. Like there is there's some tie into the overall like blaze ball lore with the the microphone and charging it and like it's shorting out which is the short circuits of the the kind of in joke there not the in joke the the pun they love puns um so yeah i'm i'm hopeful it'll kind of be more accessible too when it comes back and maybe i can drag some some more people into it and keep talking about it um and kind of what i've i've found interesting and what other people find interesting as we go along
3: I will admit uh, to a really similar situation as Patrick. I picked it up multiple times back during the first season and just found it so overwhelming and incomprehensible. The first time I set up a profile that I'd just go, oh, this this is a task for another day. And then I would end up, you know, trying to pick it up another day and it would It would still be incomprehensible and overwhelming, and I wouldn't know when things were going to resume, and I wouldn't know how to place a bet even, or where any currency to do so would come from, and that just became a... Uh, There's no tutorial. Even if they wanted to keep things in-universe, a decent tutorial and on-ramp would help so much.
0: So, so there is a new t- there is a tutorial in World now, but I think Patrick was was struggling with it and didn't kind of provide the information. And I think yeah, if you are trying to join anywhere in that first twenty four seasons, anytime you joined, it would just have gotten more incomprehensible and was very hard to kind of like I think pick up and and run with it at any point in time. Is it just like keep piling new stuff on? And they they realized that and that was part of the story they were telling. But it, sometimes I think it was to the detriment of people that were trying to like they heard about it and they wanted to jump in and it was just kind of. Kind of impossible to to kind of catch on to what was happening there so you can read more about baseball on nopresentium.com. you can check out the diary that patrick and i are running we'll update it through the end of this short circuit which will be uh sunday um so keep an eye out for that now we're going to roll on to a different topic this is the uh, story of an alternate reality game that started a uh, 14, 15, 16 years ago. Um, it was tied into I can't remember the name of it. Um, does remember that? something city is the name of the full ARG Perplexity city. city. Perplexity. Yeah, is I would
4: unmute myself phone and phone. say exactly that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um it started as a as a kind of series of puzzles to kind of do different things, and it was also an ARG type thing, um, which is an alternate reality game if you're not kind of tuned in the site in a while. And one of the specific puzzles, which was the hardest one, was to find a man. Um, His name was Satoshi, which you could find out if you called a helpline. And um, there was this whole story that unfolded as people tried to find Satoshi. And they recently released a video or a documentary called Finding Satoshi. And I'm going to turn it over to Blake, Leah, and Laura for a little bit more on this.
4: Okay, yeah, I'm can happy I just to say at the very beginning, hold on, this was such a charming documentary.
3: It's free on NHK US. So if, <laughs> if you just Google Finding Satoshi, it's one of the first results. We won't and we'll, blame we'll you. We'll link it in just, the show notes too. We won't blame you if you just pause the podcast and go listen now because it is 40 minutes of your life you will not regret spending.
4: Uh, Anyways, I I cut off Laura to say that. So (laughs) yes, Laura, please say something smarter. (laughs) No,
2: Um, I was going to kind of launch us in with a little bit more detail and context so that um, people have that framework. So there is a UK gaming company called Mind Candy, which was founded by a gentleman named Michael A. Smith. And then he also founded this perplex city. And he was inspired by the David Fincher film, The Game, which is, of course, um, also an ARG and, uh, and, and is, a, is a great touch point for a lot of people, because even if they're not familiar with ARGs, uh, many people have seen that film and, and um, recognize how fantastic it is, or potentially maybe how like frustrating it is in, in a really wonderful way. And so this documentary, which is narrated by Willem Dafoe, Um, this follows Laura E. Hall, which has, um, she's recently had a book published. Um, She had created an escape room in Portland, and she's a puzzle designer and writer, and her recent book is called Planning Your Escape. And so this dives into um, kind of strategy around escape rooms and immersive design and immersive history, and so you, you, she's the the through line for this documentary, which is, as Kevin said, it's about this game called Perplexity, which wound up being this ARG that included thousands of people globally, and there were cards, and in the film they reference Pokemon cards, and the the final card, which was number two hundred and fifty six. Um, had a photograph of this Japanese man. And in Japanese, it said, find me. And um, this is Satoshi's card. And so I'm going to leave it there for Blake and Leah to to dive into more. Uh, but that's sort of your, your launching point.
3: So what really kind of makes this a fascinating story for me is that this There almost seemed to be a dare to the Satoshi card, that it was supposed to be unsolvable, that it was supposed to be ridiculously challenging, and no one expected Satoshi to be found. And so what starts out as the story of an ARG becomes the story of miraculous moments of serendipity and the way fate and chance lead towards wondrous things happening, and also how technology changes and the inability of the present to anticipate the resources of the future for both good and for bad. It starts to touch on kind of some of the scary technological implications of the fact that Satoshi could be found.
2: Right, and there's this basic premise around this card, which was also, the card itself was called Billion to One, and at the time, so Perplex City launched in 2006. And there are all these other cards. Some of them are, are, you know, easier puzzles Some and people can do individually. Some of them are much more complicated puzzles and really do need that kind of hive mind collaboration. And the, the sort of premise specifically for Satoshi's card was that whole six degrees of separation concept um, that it only takes... Six acquaintances to link together um, one person to the sixth person, no matter where they are in the globe or no matter who those acquaintances might be. And so it is interesting how the creator of that particular card talked about how, especially with the internet, and, and we'll dive into why there were sort of peaks and valleys around the internet and its usage for this ARG, which it did take the total life was 14 years. But it the creator of the card was saying, you know, it doesn't have to be six degrees of separation. It can just be one. It can just take one person or um, not necessarily one degree of separation, but it, it, it could just be that there's one key person, regardless of the total number of, of people involved or degrees of separation, that is really that key. And I think that's what's so interesting around this progression. It's one of the really interesting things is how, the key people that we meet in the documentary and how they provided these different moments, these different pieces of information on this timeline concurrent with the development of technology itself. And so I think that like you've got these concurrent pathways, but they also diverge and then they overlap and they diverge again. And I think that's such a key part of this specific card in this specific quest
3: so one of the things that i'm kind of bringing a little bit of personal history to this just as a bit of a preface perplexity city is always kind has always been to me sort of like almost like missing woodstock in the arg world that oh you my know God,
4: Blake. yes yes okay
3: everyone around me has my entire life gone my entire life in immersive rather gone oh you know, it's such a pity that, you know, you were in, you know, middle school when Perplexed City launched. Because were you there? Oh, this was, you know, the peak. This was the pinnacle. It's up there with things like the Jejun Institute, of, you know, a sort of, you had to be there, wild, delirious fandom. And I think that is part of why there has been this longevity to the Satoshi Quest, because it was sort of the the one last solvable unsolved mystery from this, you know, great monument that really sort of defined a generation of ARG fans. And one of the things that really struck me about this is that this really proves the value of preservation in our industry, that... For years I wanted to break into the Satoshi quest. I was trying to before there was sort of that revival via Inside a Mind that provided, you know, a quick dainty summary. But back in say, you know, 2012 on the Unfiction forums, if you wanted to join the quest for Satoshi, there was so there were so many layers, so such a it was so difficult to penetrate that I feel like around that time I I can see myself bouncing off of it in history now. And so it was really interesting watching this and thinking for all these transient experiences it's so great to see that we we have things that not examine them within their history and their context but also try to to a certain degree preserve their value in a more concrete way. A a small spoiler for the documentary, but it's revealed at the very end of it that there are hidden puzzles embedded within it that follow some of the same logic or sense of whimsy and discovery and collaboration that really defined Perplex City and what made it special to people. And through this mixture of, you know, facts narrative magic and commentary you've created not just you've created almost a living historical document you've created this historical document that not only gives you the truth of what happened but the feel of what happened and i have to give it immense kudos for that and i think it's falling into a tradition with shows like dispatches from elsewhere perhaps where we're seeing Attempts to preserve and celebrate immersive history, but that also work as narrative introductions to what makes immersive great.
0: And I think you kind of mentioned the feelings this one gives, and I think the way it ties into the the people who had been on this kind of search for for so long, and that's that's kind of I think probably some of the charm. Leah mentioned, so, Leah, actually, do you want to kind of go into, like, like, why you found it so charming and, like, what some of that that was?
4: Well, so, first of all, I just needed a good show about happy people doing things that they loved. Um, nobody dies. There's no, like, incredibly sad or angry bit to this. It's just really interesting and really fun to watch. So, in a meta way, charming. Uh but you know what? Every, every person who's involved in this documentary is also just charming. <laughs> um, I think there's something about watching people that just are really enjoying what they do. It, it just, it shines through no matter what you're watching. You know what I'm, what I feel this way uh, about Dispatches to Elsewhere and about finding Satoshi is a profound sense of, <laughs> of FOMO, I think. Did
1: anyone else feel that?
4: I 100%. Yes. Right. Oh,
1: oh, and I have a clarifying question then, really quick. So, like, this was uh, this, this has been ongoing for almost two decades. Like, so does the for clarification, could I have jumped in or anyone jumped in at any time, start at the beginning and caught up? Or was this like to Blake, to your point, you really had to be at the start and it's just been ongoing for those people who have c- stayed committed this entire time?
3: So that's one of kind of the weird, funny things about Perplex City. The central game of Perplex City was solved much, much quicker. But the quest for Satoshi remained as this one little, almost Easter egg. This one last niggling obsession that Laura E. Hall and her comrades just had to solve. And so well you probably missed if you weren't for the initial rush the game of perplexity for years on the unfiction forums and eventually after Laura Hall did an interview on the inside a mind YouTube channel via that entry point you could jump in on this particular very specific quest of and course that... there wasn't a lot of movement it's a until well... there was a solution people hit a lot of dead ends. Um, and that
0: interview was just in, in 2020. So this was solved fairly recently too.
3: Right.
2: This part was, but Patrick, to answer your question a little bit more, there was a, there was a, a main treasure hunt goal of finding this thing called the cube. And um, that was, that was in, in world in Perpuxity, city, but there, it was physically also somewhere, you know, in the world. And, um, and so there was this treasure hunt, and you would win a £100,000 or $200,000. And there was a person who did find this and won the money. I don't remember. Blake, do you remember what year that was? So this launched in 2006. I don't recall what year the cube was found.
0: I think it was found either that year or the year. It sounded pretty close to it. Um, and because I know they mentioned at some point, too, they were trying to get funding for like a second season and weren't able to, to run perplex city again. Mm-hmm. So I, I assume it was like pretty close together. I don't know the exact uh, it, time. Frame I think it enough. was
2: a couple years, but yeah, I think it was relatively soon compared to, so this, so this finding Satoshi aspect of it was like continued much, much longer after the cube had been found. So there were sort of these two main quests in addition to all the smaller puzzles to get to, figuring out where the cube was located.
3: So I find it really interesting that there is this sort of great tradition of these British treasure hunts that are kind of the precursor to ARGs. That was the one thing actually I was thinking that I really would have liked is a little bit more context of perplexity within the world of ARGs you know, are, are any of you guys familiar with Masquerade? No. 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 Masquerade. Sorry, the LARP? W- no, no, not the LARP. Masquer, although that's a story for another day. <laughs> Masquerade <laughs> was this wild picture book from the 70s uh, in Britain that allegedly contained the clues to the location of a bejeweled golden hair that had been buried somewhere and so there was this treasure hunt and obsession across all of britain trying to solve this picture book and it's kind of considered it's not an arg but it established a lot of those principles and you can really see a direct lineage from that and the idea of arg as treasure hunt to perplex city um and just eventually we start seeing ARGs move less away from treasure hunts and more towards just sort of plot and interaction based uh in sort of their more modern incarnations although you still do occasionally come across the ARG for a prize especially in a lot of some of the promotional ones and so just you know just to If I had one criticism, I would have liked them to sort of touch on that context of this as sort of that missing link between treasure hunts and scavenger hunts to narrative-driven ARGs.
2: I agree. I I think that's a great point.
0: Yeah, because I kind of see more of that. Because you see sometimes they show like videos from like the perplexed city meetups and it's like there are actually a lot of people involved in this in kind of the early internet it's like oh like I don't some ARGs are smaller than that now and I feel like the form is is more um, at least widely known now than it was in two thousand six. Um, so I found that interesting too and wish they had kind of dived into that a little bit more even though that's not obviously kind of the story of of the documentary which is is on finding Satoshi.
4: Okay. So like I, I almost wish that you hadn't mentioned the the metagame at the end because that was such delightful surprise for me Um, and as somebody who spent most of that most of my 40 minutes really wishing that i hadn't missed out on this experience um, i felt like it was a really great way to pull people in Um, it's sort of like oh gosh maybe nobody has this experience but um you see an ad for a pair of jeans that you like and then you go to the store and it's like well how are they sold out already so as soon as i learn about these new games or new, in quotation marks, new to me. Games. It feels like it's far too late to do anything about it. Um, it's, and I'm excited to do this one now.
3: It's really great that there is something that can kind of replicate it. I I fear to some extent that the golden age is over. Uh, the last, don't really, say such things. Ah. I mean, the last really great <laughs> ARG I did was the Leap Year Society. Which, if if any of you recall, my weird. No Pro Deep Lore, that was my introduction to you all, was uh, covering the Leap Year Society ARG on the No Pro cast at 2018 New York Comic Con. So I think as we're emerging back into the world a little bit more post-pandemic, we're gonna see ARG starting to make a comeback. For those of you listening, uh, there's actually brewing a small ARG for the batman uh the robert pattinson batman movie uh in which people are decoding a series of secret messages from the riddler that have been scattered throughout some of the promotional materials and that has had some some real fun directions that i've been exploring with michael anderson of argnet one of our one of the friends of the site
1: well and then i I, it's also interesting in regards to the golden age aspect because i also wonder how much with the pandemic, this shift to online has also kind of like, for some reason I can think of the word is kneecapped like ARGs in the sense of like, so many experiences are like online now, like, you know, like we've moved into this technological based um, way of viewing and engaging in theater and especially immersive theater um, and things and stuff like that. You know, like, I feel like that's a big part of it. So I think people are, people are maybe gravitate gravitating towards the more casual based, um, experiences in that sense. Like, you know, they could just do a zoom play or do echelon or into the mist where it's very light and very straightforward. And so I wonder if like, that's, um, kind of what it is for that, but then I'm kind of curious to learn, you know, you know, with so this, 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 you know, like this was a very seminal moment in ARG history. Do you guys think this like an experience like this could be replicated, you know, today, right now, like with the way technology has changed and the way we're more interconnected, do you think that's possible or would it be completely different?
3: So I've, I've got a mixed opinion on that. I don't think the technology makes a similar, at least emotional arc of an experience impossible. I think that there are ways to accommodate for the technology we have today. There are different puzzles that achieve the same ends of promoting universal connection and collaboration. But by that same token, I think that the industry has changed so much over that time. And I worry sort of about the the overwhelming corporate incentives to not do it that way, uh, or to, you know, have everything sort of lead in the end to a purchase. Uh, ARGs at this point in time largely exist, as they always have existed on the periphery of, uh, and sometimes within, commercial art. Uh, You know, I Heart bees. another one of the classic olden age ARGs, was a Halo promotion. And I think... As we're entering more of a big data and metrics-driven marketing economy, we're going to see less money being diverted into weird and interesting little projects like this within that space. Now, that isn't to say we're not going to get some big, interesting passion projects that could capture the attention of people. More just that I think at this point in time, the funding is going to be a little bit peculiar.
2: I think that's a good point. Even you can just kind of look um, sort of, uh, you know, an adjacent example is Wordle. It's interesting how people have been, there's been this tension online around people that are um, quite happy for the creator, that he sold it to the New York times and other people concerned that now it will be destroyed in some way because it's been acquired by this uh, huge media company. I think there's one thing that I wanted to quickly quote that I thought was really insightful in the documentary. Uh, This is a quote from Luke Stark, who is an information and media expert, and he's briefly interviewed at the end of the documentary. And because, um, oh, this is a spoiler, so heads up, Um, because facial recognition technology is used um, as a key development later on to find Satoshi, um, Luke Stark has this quote that is, facial recognition is the plutonium of AI because it's as socially toxic as nuclear waste is physically toxic. And I do think that there's interesting tension around how, um, because also one of the, the founder of Clearview AI, who uh, which is a, a facial recognition search engine that's used for law enforcement, and I think that the the way that founder, he talks about the inevitability of technology. And so I think there's some very interesting conversations around like, what is the tech used for? How is it being implemented? And how is that being monetized? Or how is that being used in some of these other ways, like for law enforcement, um, positions of authority, people who are powerful? And so that's obviously a very interesting. Um, Large comments. We could have a huge discussion just about that alone. But I think that it's, um, I do think that this is a real flashpoint around this particular ARG and what was possible at that time, and how, if it were developed now, there would be so many issues around identity. I mean, Satoshi even comments about this himself. Um, and so I think the, these issues around privacy and how these have developed alongside advancements in, in tech development, these are huge, huge questions that at the time didn't feel as huge because the tech wasn't available. And so how are we designing based on what we know now as well as potentially how are we designing based on what we think the future might be?
0: And um, I think maybe you'll explore some of those questions I know um Laura and Blake one of you is gonna write it maybe both of you are going to kind of write about this for the site so maybe that's something we can explore um there and people can can read about it on the site so stay tuned for something on Find on findixassociation.com very soon so we're gonna keep it in the kind of uh searching for people vein that's my weak attempt at a transition to you now you nailed it nailed it yes uh to to patrick who's gonna uh, close out our last segment today
1: yeah and this this is gonna double as a as a check-in actually uh because i'm gonna talk about the detective society's um uh, a box that mis- immersive mystery game the disappearance of claire makovia this is actually an experience uh uh all our good friend uh, Ed uh, from New York, he actually reviewed the first box and you can find that at on no proscenium. And I'll let you dig into that because I'm here to talk about, because based off his review uh, in finally getting around to it, I just bit the bullet and I bought the entire season. So I did all six of the boxes from beginning to end for this. And, Generally, this was a really great experience. I had a lot of fun with this. Um, it's definitely in the same vein of the Hunt a Killer model. You know, uh, Hunt a Killer has been around from since around 2016. And, you know, they send you one box a month. And typically those are, they send you up to six and they're an interconnected mystery. So at the end, you've done that. And Hunt Ki- uh the Detective Society does the same thing. They're a newer company and they're based out of London. Uh, where I think Hunted Killer is like a kind of very big operation. They've maybe got like fifty to like, couple, you know, a couple hundred employees. Like it sure seems like the Detective Society is a much smaller operation. And as I said, like I really enjoyed this. the The mystery, the narrative that carries through all six boxes was gripping. It was exciting. Each one ended with a, a really good cliffhanger. Some were a little better than others. And maybe I'll talk about, or at some point, like the first one was really good. There was a very, and it, it was kind of like, oh, this is such a great, like in, in like a great meta commentary on at home boxed mystery experiences that I just loved, I, whether they are, you know, m- you know, mimicking or, you uh, I forget what what's the term when you like you're not stealing someone's art you're paying you're paying an homage whether they're homaging someone else's kind of thing I don't know but it was just a lot of fun and I also liked it because I do these boxes by myself here at home and everything was really easy to do myself it didn't seem to take longer there's sometimes these at home boxes when you do them by yourself instead of like oh this should only take you know an hour to maybe ninety minutes if you have the whole family or you gather a bunch of friends, like everything really clicked and clues were obvious and, and, and in a good way. Like if you're, you're reading things and you're paying attention, it was really good in that sense.
0: So is it pretty like be- beginner friendly for people that are coming into like mystery boxes or is it on the harder side? How does how does that kind of play out for the detective one?
1: Yeah, I would say it like maybe a medium. I would say this is, I, It's still very friendly. I think definitely the first box is super, I would say, at an easy level. They also kind of like presume, which I actually really appreciated. And Ed mentions this in his article that they have you do some kind of basic like general puzzles, like almost like to get you into the mindset of what to expect, which I think is a kind of nice, subtle onboarding thing. But then generally, you know, there are puzzles, I would say, at a medium level that, you know, Definitely take some time. You got to think about it. You've got to make sure you've read clues and you're making deductions and connections. There is, I would say, uh, maybe what makes it a medium, or might even have a little asterisk to it, is that it's it's based in London, like, and it's from this creative team. So, like, maybe people outside of people outside of London, or maybe outside of the greater European area, there might be some like terminology or kind of common knowledge information that doesn't, uh, translate to other, uh, audiences, like, you know, like very kind of simple things like where the geography of London is not as clear cut to me and things and stuff like that. But I would say, you know, they do make a point in their instructions of being like, you know, we're not trying to trick you, you know, use Google. Google is a tool for you to use to like learn context and things like that. You'll never be expected to know something that you shouldn't, uh, in the sense of like you have to be an experienced person with a degree
0: or something. Cool. Um, so yeah. Are you, are you, is there a season two? Like, can you, can you pick up more of this? Yeah. Um, so
1: you can actually get sev- there's, there's, there's two other seasons on the website uh, in regards to that. And, uh, you know, season one, I say thumbs up. It was really good. You know, the only kind of other last criticism I would have with it is that personally, when I sit down and do these experiences, I like not, to have technology or have as little technology involved as possible. Uh, this one, you know, they use the WhatsApp and some email functionality. Like you, you know, you, you send an email to uh, an address and you say like the word in the body of the thing and then you get the. Well, some, you know, uh, someone the concede someone's responding, you know, but it's an automatic response type thing because you can give them the right word. What? Oh, I know! Oh my God, the uh, spoilers, everybody! And there's <laughs> not someone just sitting there, but there's a there's some parts where you're like you're like in front of a laptop and you're like doing research and like going through webpage after webpage. And as I said, like it, it all worked, it was all good. But personally. I really like it when these boxes are more self-contained and you might need to Google something or submit a solution, but there was a lot of stuff. And there was even a few puzzles that you actually had to do on the computer. And, you know, that's, that's just a creative choice that didn't resonate with me. And I, you know, and I think it was really good. Nice.
0: Yeah. I, I get that. Cause sometimes it's like, you want the, you want, that's your like screenless experience for the night or, or week or whatever, like trying to get away from it and you go to a box game and you end up on on the computer bunch yeah i would um, just
1: recommend getting the whole thing too at this point like you know mm-hmm. I, I, so like that would be the big takeaways you know between now ed's review and mine i would say if you can take the risk just get it all you'll have a good time
0: cool thanks for thanks for talking about that one um yeah check out the site uh, read read ed's thoughts um on on there and then uh, let us know if you check out the detective series season one or any other seasons um Maybe we'll dive into those on a future show too if anyone else um, picks them up or we we all go in and try and complete a season and uh, chat about it later. So that is it for our first episode back in a while. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed this episode. As always, No Percentium is a labor of love. Everyone on staff who you hear on podcasts like this one, the No Percentium podcast or read on the site are volunteers. Um, you can support this work by donating to the no Name Patreon, which you can find on NoPercentName.com. Uh, even $5 a month helps, um, it's, it's good to keep this going. Um, and then if you're enjoying Review Crew or the NoPro podcast, you can also support us by leaving a five star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, and leave a review, that's always, always good for us. Uh, so, so thank you for, for any support there and um for their whole crew uh signing off this is kevin gossett thanks for listening